Thank you so much for listening to this podcast of our weekly message here at Brighton United Methodist Church. If you're looking for a church home in the Brighton area, I want to invite you to come and visit us. Check out our website at www.brightonunitedmethodistchurch.com and find us on social media. I pray you find this message inspiring and check back for future installments. Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 5, and it is from verse 17 to verse 26. Today I'm reading from the New International Version of the Bible. One day, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him to the house where to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles and into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is the fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you will know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately the man stood, and he, in front of them, and he took what he had been laying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen a remarkable things today. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, grace be yours and peace from Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, we've been working through this uh, series that we're calling Sunday School Revisited. This has been an opportunity for us to return to some of those classic stories of Sunday School uh, that uh, we learned as children. Maybe we read in children's Bibles. Maybe we learned through Vacation Bible School. The question is, do we really know them as well as we think we do? They're so familiar to us, it can be difficult for us to understand uh, the the, the difference between what might be emphasized in Sunday school and what is actually in the Word of God. So we've been unpacking these classic stories of our Sunday school years to, to see if there's deeper and more profound uh, and new inspiration for us. We've looked at Noah and the ark. We looked at Samson and Delilah. We looked at David and Goliath. And last week we looked at Daniel and the lion's den. Well, these have all been in the Old Testament. 
Today, we turn now for uh, today and next Sunday, we're going to turn to the New Testament a little bit. Most of these classic stories, for some reason, find themselves in the Old Testament, but I didn't want to ignore the New Testament entirely. So, uh, we're, we're going to move into the New Testament, and today, we're going to read this first story of Jesus healing the paralytic. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, this doesn't seem like a, a particularly memorable uh, story. I don't necessarily remember learning this story in Sunday school. One of the reasons I chose this particular story has to do with um, uh, noticing some things about our sanctuary, actually. Our sanctuary, uh, I've been using the, the, the pictures of our stained glass as a backdrop for many of our videos and utilizing the, the sights of our, of our sanctuary, the, the beauty and the art of our sanctuary, uh, to put you here, to give you a sense as you watch these virtual worship services that you're actually here in this place. One of the things I noticed is that right over here to my right, there is a panel, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but all of our stained glass panels, they tell stories of the Bible. They depict different portions of Scripture. On the south side, both panels depict different stories from the Old Testament. And starting in the back north corner, we begin with the birth of Jesus all the way through to this front corner right behind me, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So all of these stained glass panels depict different aspects of Jesus' life. And there's bread and fish. There's uh, the, the shepherd boy uh, carrying his sheep. Uh, there's a river flowing through one. There's communion, of course, and Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. But the one story that seems to be highlighted from Jesus' ministry in one of these panels, and you'll see it here. I'll put a picture of it up uh, on the video is a picture of the story that we read today from Luke's Gospel. The story of Jesus healing the paralytic who has been lowered through the roof of the house so that they can reach Jesus. These, these friends, they can't get their, their paralyzed friend in to see Jesus the healer. And so they go to the extreme measure of removing tiles from the roof of this home and lowering their friend in so that he might be healed by this Jesus. So that's why I thought maybe this was an appropriate one. If you've spent any time in our sanctuary, you may have noticed that particular panel. You may have recognized it as a story of Jesus. It was so significant that it made the very limited number of stories that could be depicted in the very stained glass of our sanctuary. Now, I remember learning this story as a kid and imagining uh, this rooftop experience, thinking of it kind of like a rooftop elevator. When you're a kid, you don't recognize that the differences of 2,000 years ago, you're not fully aware of uh, the fact that elevators didn't exist in Jesus' time. And so there's this sense of, you know, kind of like a, an early elevator system, you know, lowering this guy uh, down from the roof. It's a kid brain kind of a thing, but it, it's, it illustrates for me the, the uh, importance and the inspiration that can come from revisiting these stories as adults and thinking about them uh, now with a little more clarity about then. Now, 
We have been introducing you to some of the characters of these stories, David and Goliath, Daniel and uh, uh, Samson and various other characters we've, we've talked about. Obviously, Jesus here needs no introduction. That's kind of the reason we are Christian, right? But there are some things that we can learn about Jesus that are important that I want to begin by highlighting that we can, we can uh, get from this story. First of all, it's not necessarily evident in this particular version of this story, but uh, scholars generally believe that it is very likely, at the, at, the, at the least, that the home from which these tiles were removed from the ceiling and this man was lowered down, the home that Jesus is in when this happens is very likely his own. We often think about Jesus being sort of nomadic, uh, traveling around Galilee and going down into, into Judea and, and down to Jerusalem and teaching and always constantly moving. There seems to always be this kind of movement and outdoors. We don't get a lot of Jesus, the home life, right? But uh, the other two synoptic gospels, Matthew and Mark, have versions of this story that make it even more clear than this story, that, that this house was most likely Jesus' home. These references are going to be part of your uh, uh, homework at the end of our message today. But just briefly to look into them, if you want to turn with me, you've heard the passage from Luke, John read so beautifully. But if you turn to the same story in the Gospel of Matthew... The parallel story there at the beginning of Matthew chapter 9, chapter 9 verse 1 says, And after getting into the boat, he crossed the sea and came to his own town. To his own town. So he's not going to a town, he's going to his own town, according to Matthew. Mark gets even more specific. If you turn with me into Mark's gospel, chapter 2. In Mark's gospel, chapter 2. We hear that when he returned to Capernaum, that's the location of this. We got that from Luke's gospel, okay? But from Matthew's, remember, Capernaum is identified as his own town. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, implying that Jesus had a home. Well, they, the crowd starts circulating the rumor, Jesus is at home in his own town. And the town comes to him. The town comes to him at his home. This was likely Jesus' own home. Think about that for just a moment. How many of you have pictured Jesus as kind of a homeless nomad wandering around with his 12 best friends? The second thing that we get from this comes going back to Luke's gospel. And I want to encourage you to now... Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. In verse 22, we have this, this very fascinating uh, and telling and important aspect of Jesus' ability as Son of God, as in tune with the Holy Spirit, as we are called to be now. But in verse 22, he's, he's said to this paralytic that's been lowered through the roof of his home, your sins are forgiven. Right? But the Pharisees, the religious types around, have trouble with that. Right? And in verse 22, Jesus responds. When Jesus perceived their questionings, 
He answered them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? They're not speaking their questions. They're thinking them. The heart is not, as we know it today, sort of a location of feelings. uh, And we distinguish that from the mind, which is the center of thought, perhaps, right? We have thought and feelings, even though we know our, our heart isn't the origin of our feelings, necessarily, right? We kind of separate those two. Well, the heart was actually the location of, an, of a person's entire inner being in Jesus' time. And so for them to be raising up questions in their heart is to say they're thinking about them. They're wondering about them, but they're not necessarily saying them. And Jesus knows what they're wondering in their hearts and challenges them. Jesus hears. Jesus hears their hearts. You see, that's important because Jesus also hears our heart. Jesus hears what's going on in our heart, and it's important for us to know that we cannot hide what's in our heart from Jesus. That's important. The third thing is Jesus referring to himself in verse 24 as the Son of Man. We hear this throughout the Gospels, but We get to this point, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, stand up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then turns to the men and says, stand up, walk away, carry your mat. Jesus often refers to himself by this title, And you can see it if you have your eyes on your copy of God's Word. The Son of Man is capitalized. That's a title. The Son of Man. Well, this title, the Son of Man, has a complex meaning and origin. We know from the Gospels that it's how Jesus chooses most often to refer to himself as a way of indicating some things about who he was and is and what he is there to do. Some of the unpacking comes from uh, our example from the prophetic literature of the Old Testament when the prophet Ezekiel is uh, frequently addressed as the son of man, as a son of man. Son of man, say this to the people, and Ezekiel would say it. Dozens of times, Ezekiel, the prophet in the Old Testament, is referred to as a son of man. But in another prophetic book that we just recently looked at in the book of Daniel. Remember last week we talked about the first six books of Dan- or six first chapters of Daniel uh, being about s- being mostly story, narrative, right? The second half, starting in chapter seven, Daniel shifts into these apocalyptic, uh, almost um, uh, um, end of the world sort of visions, right? And Daniel associates this title, Son of Man, with a messianic return, the Messiah, we would call him the Christ, right, is associated with the Son of Man. The Son of Man is really half-veiled title, and it has authority to heal and forgive. That's the, the connotation here. So, so the Son of Man is meant to, to connect 
this person of Jesus before these scribes and Pharisees, before these people clamoring for healing and and a word and knowledge. It's to indicate to them Jesus' special being as both Son of God and Son of Man. Jesus is fully God, fully human, the Son of Man. So let's go through this story, right? I want to go through this story to mine it for insight and inspiration. And I want to begin, I want to begin this with the narration when he says, when he saw their faith. That is when Jesus saw their faith. This is verse 20, right? It says, when he, Jesus, saw their faith, He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is moved to respond to this paralytic in his plight with this offering of forgiveness when he sees the faith of the friends. So what did Jesus see? What, in fact, did Jesus see? Well, back up to verse 18, it says, Just then, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. That is what Jesus saw. And when he saw, okay, the the narrator says, when he saw their faith, their faith Their faith was demonstrated by their devotion to getting their friend in front of someone they believed could help, right? What did Jesus see? Well, the answer is a devotion to their neighbor, their friend, determined to see Jesus. They're determined to see Jesus. Why? Well, for that, we have to back up into the previous story and hear the setup for this story in the Gospel of Luke. If we go back to verse 15, uh, in the previous story, Jesus cleanses a leper. So he performs a miraculous healing. And in verse 15, it says, But now more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. So these men of Capernaum, These friends of the paralyzed man have heard about Jesus, the healer, and they, like so many others, gather in a crowd that they might be healed and that they might hear a word, right? Jesus sees their faith in bringing this paralyzed man and going to extraordinary lengths to bring this man before Jesus, to cut through the crowd, to get their friend in front of the Christ, right? Jesus saw these four friends moved by compassion and motivated by a dogged determination to do whatever it took to see their friend healed. And it's that. These four friends moved by compassion and motivated by dogged determination to do whatever it took to see their friend healed. It is that that Jesus recognizes as faith. The second thing, the second thing we we begin to build uh, out of this 
story begins in verse 20 when it says, when, when Jesus turns to the paralyzed man who's been lowered into his home, and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Friend, verse 20, your sins are forgiven you. Interesting here. Fascinating, uh, fascinating choice here that the New Revised Standard Version would suggest, friend, your sins are forgiven you. But the Greek word here that is used that NRSV has translated as friend is the Greek word anthropos. Anthropos is where we get anthropology, the study of humanity, anthropocentric. Okay? It's, a, it's a, a Greek term used to describe a man. It can, it can describe a man, but it's more often used to describe humankind, right? Humanity. Scholars have identified that there are actually two words that could mean man, right? Two words that could mean this man. The other is a word, anar, anar, which is used uh, to refer specifically to a man. And in fact, the plural version of that is used to refer to the men who carried him up to the roof and lowered him down. So the author knows the word, anar, and could have chosen to use that word, but instead, instead, when, when Jesus turns to this to this paralyzed man and offers forgiveness, he says, he says, anthropos. Human as a part of all humankind, your sins are forgiven. You see, implied in Jesus' address to this paralyzed man is the offer of forgiveness not just to him, but to humanity. Foreshadowing the work of Christ on the cross. He addresses him in the form that can also mean all of humankind, all of humanity. And Jesus Christ does not start, you see, with the physical healing. Obviously, that's why these friends have brought the paralyzed man to Jesus. Obviously, this is what they wanted was for Jesus to reach out and to, to heal their friend that he might walk and not be paralyzed. But Jesus doesn't begin with the physical healing. In fact, he seems initially content to leave it at your sins are forgiven you. He begins and seems content to leave it with a spiritual healing of forgiveness. Your sins are forgiven. It's only after he perceives the questions in the hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees that he moves to a physical healing. He starts and seems willing to leave it at the spiritual healing of forgiveness. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 21, they lift up, right? The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, right? Began to question, who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Blasphemy is the charge, and the reason they charge blasphemy is because in their mode of thinking, Jesus is a human being. This man that stands before them is not God. Therefore, 
And the only being capable of forgiving sin is, in fact, God. And the only way to achieve that is through the sacrifices of atonement that are laid out in the law. In their thinking, as scribes and Pharisees, Jesus is undercutting the law of the sacrifices for atonement, and he is assuming the role of God when to them he clearly is not God. Now the joke is on them because in fact Jesus is fully God and fully human and therefore fully authorized to forgive the sins of anyone. Jesus uses this opportunity to introduce his real purpose of empowering the forgiveness that will be offered all humankind through his death and resurrection. He takes this chance. He takes this this window of opportunity to say, the reason I'm here is to forgive all sins for all humankind. That's my purpose. That's why I'm here, fully God, fully human. And yet he has not yet healed the man physically. He turns to heal the man physically when in verse 24 he says, but so that you, scribes and Pharisees, may know. But so that you may know. And this is where the Son of Man comes in, right? It says in verse 24, But so that you, speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, so that you may know that the Son of Man, i.e. Jesus, right? Has authority on earth to forgive sin. He said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Stand up and take your bed and go to your home. He uses the physical healing to demonstrate that he has the authority to not only command the man to walk when he was paralyzed. Notice he doesn't even touch him. He just commands it. He says, get up and go. Right? I say to you, stand up, take your bed and go to your home. And he does it. So Jesus can command the paralyzed man to do something he physically couldn't do. And that is so they will know that Jesus has the authority to command that sins be forgiven. The Son of Man has the authority to forgive, and so he heals. Now, we tend to misread this this miracle. We tend to misread this miracle in thinking that it's, it's about the healing, the physical healing. But notice the emphasis that Jesus has here, right? As I said before, he declares forgiveness. He begins with that. And not only does he begin with that, he seems in the moment content to leave it at that. Friend, your sins are forgiven. As if that were the reason that the four friends lowered this man into his home through the roof, that they would go to that extreme so that Jesus could say, Friend, your sins are forgiven. But that's not why they did it. But that, that is why Jesus responds. He says, your sins are forgiven. Leave it at that. 
Well, then the scribes and the Pharisees are grumbling that Jesus can't forgive sins. He's just a human being. So he uses the miracle of the physical healing to demonstrate the harder, the harder miracle of the forgiveness of sins. Which is harder, forgiveness or healing? We tend to think that the physical healing is the harder miracle. But the physical healing, Jesus uses only to demonstrate that, has, that he has the authority to do the greatest miracle in the life of this man, and that is to forgive his sins. You see, healing is perceived even today as being harder, but the miracle of forgiveness, the miracle of forgiveness is the hardest to come by. You see, physical healing affects the man's present, right? He no longer has to lay on his mat. He no longer has to depend on his friends. He can pick up his mat. He can walk around. He can go home. He can be a laborer. He can earn his keep. He can contribute to a family. He can live his life after a manner in which he wants. The physical healing affects the man's present And we tend to focus on the here and now, but God is focused on the forever. Jesus demonstrates that God is focused on the forever. Go back to the first point on faith. Remember, when he saw their faith, he responded. These friends were moved by compassion and motivated by dogged determination to do whatever it took to see their friend healed. What they didn't realize is that they were moved by compassion and motivated by dogged determination to do whatever it took to see their friend forgiven. To see their friend forgiven. They sought the physical healing for the man's present and Jesus offered so much more when he says, friend, your sins are forgiven you. What does that tell us about what our faith should look like? What does that tell us about what our faith should look like? So much we crave after a physical healing. We get a bad diagnosis and we find out we have cancer. Or I recently had a friend who lost part of his leg to a motorcycle accident. We think that the physical is so much more important. It's so much more uh, impactful on our present. But we forget that God, we forget that God is concerned about the forever. And that our faith needs to be in the God who can not only heal the body, but chooses to offer complete and total health and wholeness of our spiritual being. Our faith needs to be moving us to a spiritual healing that, yes, can manifest in physical healing for sure. And we know that God moves in miraculous ways. But the truth is that our faith is not about being physically healed. Our faith is about making sure that our relationship with God is on the solid rock of faith. That that faith-filled relationship brings about the healing that every one of us needs, the forgiveness of our sins. For we all 
fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is that Jesus, the good news isn't, of course, that Jesus comes to bring wholeness to a paralytic or cleansing to a leper or sight to the blind or hearing to the deaf or fill in the blank. The the true miracle of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is that you and I are forgiven. That not only is our present cared for, but our forever is as well. Now, we need to be friends of those around us. We need to be friends, moved by compassion and motivated by dogged determination to do whatever it takes to see our friends forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. And we've got to have faith to do that. We can't hide behind our insecurities of not wanting to, to step on the toes of someone who doesn't know Jesus We have to want so desperately for a friend. If we had a friend who was paralyzed and we heard of a man who could heal him, we would do whatever it took to make sure that our friend got in front of that healer. We all have friends who walk around day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, who have yet to be forgiven Because they have yet to receive the gracious gift of Jesus Christ. We know what their problem is because it was our problem. We know what their solution is and only the solution that they need. And yet we lose that dogged determination. We must be moved by compassion as friends. And motivated by dogged determination as friends to do whatever it takes for our friends to be forgiven. We got to have faith. And it's so important for us to remember that God is more interested in our eternity. God is more interested in our eternity. And once we allow God to handle our eternity, then doors begin to open in our present. As soon as we allow God to handle our eternity, doors begin to open in our present, even if that means putting a door in a roof. Amen. Are you ready for your homework? I hope you are. I hope you continue to do your homework. Remember, uh, this is the part of our service where we challenge you to take what we've uh, been talking about in the message and apply it to your life, something you can do each and every day. And that begins with our Thirsty 30. Hope you're doing your Thirsty 30. Remember, that's 10 minutes of Bible reading, 10 minutes of uh, prayer, and 10 minutes of worship, whatever that looks like for you. 30 minutes a day, each and every day. Dedicate that time to God. And that as we've been sharing, is a, is a baseline. That is, a, that is a, a baseline. If you're not doing anything, start doing something. Right? If you're doing something but it's not 30, get to 30. If you've been doing 30 for a while, challenge yourself. Do more. Do more. But dedicate, dedicate that time to your life. Set aside that time in your life. Carve out that time to hand your eternity to God. 
and to develop that relationship. That's so important. While you're there, while you're there doing that Thirsty 30, I've been having you go back and reread larger portions of these stories to get more context. Today, I want you to take a look at one of the special privileges we have when we talk about stories in the Gospels, in that very often there are multiple versions of these stories, and we have that with this story. There are three versions of the story, the one that we read here in Luke, and then there's the one in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. And then there's the version in Mark's gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And what I want you to do is, throughout this week, periodically, I would like you to go back and read all three of these versions of the same story. And see if maybe God doesn't open up something interesting for you. But in addition to that... As you come to God in prayer, I want to challenge you to seek God about a friend in your life that still needs to know the saving grace of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Seek God about a friend in need of forgiveness. And then make a plan. It doesn't have to be an elaborate plan, but make a plan to bring that up with them to be that doggedly determined, compassion-moved friend doing everything you can to bring someone in need of forgiveness to the only one who can offer it. Okay? So that's your homework. Shall we pray? Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we give you so much thanks and praise and honor for the forgiveness that you have offered to us. We stand in awe at your compassionate grace. And we give you thanks and praise. Lord, help us to receive that grace as the ultimate healing. Help us to prioritize the eternal and not just the here and now. And Lord, begin to use us to bring friends before the Savior. Help us to see the people in our lives who need to know the love and the grace and the forgiveness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, give us the insight to know, but most importantly, give us the courage to act as faithful friends. Lord, we pray these things in the mighty and the powerful and the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. I want to thank you for listening to this weekly message here at Brighton United Methodist Church. If you're looking for a church home in the Denver area, I want to invite you to come by and visit us. Check out our website at www.brightonunitedmethodistchurch.com and find us on social media. Remember, you are loved.